This recording is a ministry of Grace Bible Church of Pleasant Hill, California. We want to thank you for listening and invite you to visit us each Lord's Day on our campus located at 40 Cleveland Road, Pleasant Hill, California, or at any time at gbcph.org. So I have to say, you're already either my favorite church or my most pathetic church. I don't know which. I've never had anyone ask me to come back and do it again. <laughs> so either like you loved it or you just didn't get it. We, we didn't understand the first time. Because <laughs> I remember I, I was like, really? You want me to do the same stuff? Actually, there has been another church that had me come back and do the same marriage conference material. And it, actually, it does not offend me at all. Because I understand from counseling when you're going over stuff, it doesn't hurt at all to come back around and go over it again. You get a little bit, and the next time you get a little bit more. But as Scott said, this really is right at the heart of what Christianity is all about, the gospel, and our hearts as how they relate to the gospel. There couldn't be anything more important. So, yes, this is something you just got to come back to again and again and again. So I'm super grateful for the opportunity. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for the weekend that we have together. Lord, thank you so much for your word, your spirit, and your bride. Lord, thank you so much for what you're still doing. The world, so much has come unhinged, uh, so much is raging, and there's so much noise, as, as Scott said, but God, I thank you that we as your people can hear the voice of our Savior through it all, who said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Lord, thank you that you are on the move. You're still doing what you do, and you're not frantic. You're not anxious. You're not upset. You're on your throne. So we delight in being your people, and we just want to begin tonight by saying, we submit to your word. Would you speak? Would you have your way in this weekend? May it not just be information, but may it lead to greater transformation, changing us to be more like Christ, realigning our hearts with his heart that you might use us, even in our weakness, to make an impact in this world. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's jump right into it. This subject is dear to my heart, and it's not just some academic interest that I have. So as a pastor, I've got all kinds of interests. I've been a pastor 35 years and been at the same church 26. I went there to do a church plant in 1995, an evangelical free church plant, and I haven't left. And so by God's grace, I'm thrilled to see what God has done. But part of what I wanted to see happen was not just good preaching. I grew up with that, and good Sunday school but I thought something's missing. I want us to have a real ministry with people at close range using our Bibles. I try not to say counseling because everyone's like, ah, I'm no counselor. So I say, wouldn't you like to know how to help a real person with a real problem using your Bible? You'd be stupid to say no. Yeah. So I thought, what if believers didn't just know how to share the gospel, but knew how to help a real person with a real problem using their Bible. So I've been thinking this way, talking this way, and trying to equip our people this way for 26 years now. So by God's grace, I started in my den, you know, I was in my bedroom saying, hello, Grace Fellowship, answering the phone, playing my guitar, preaching, and counseling people. But I thought, oh, I wanna equip others. And by God's grace, we now have 65 counselors. We have a free counseling training center for people to come and get help. And so God is not just sort of done what I hoped, 
I still am overwhelmed some Mondays when I drive into the parking lot and I think Ephesians 3.20, he's done exceedingly, abundantly, beyond. I was just hoping I wouldn't have to work at Red Lobster at the same time. <laughs> Why, you know, you see guys that are trying to plant a church and I was like, oh, I have, I have five little kids. Oh, I hope I could be a full-time pastor and God has done. You know, here, here's, you're gonna like this. I used to fantasize in the bedroom downstairs, hello, Grace Fellowship, about having staff oh my goodness, if I had help, if it wasn't just me. And now some days I fantasize about not having staff and it just being me. <laughs> now there's 35 people on staff. It's like, I had no idea how hard it would be to keep 35 Christians on the same page who all love Jesus, like mm, behind the scenes. <laughs> yeah. I say, here's what I like to say, Christians are like manure. If you spread them out, they do a lot of good and fertile. If you pile them up in one place, it stinks, <laughs> you know, because people in the marketplace, they're always like, oh, I just wish I could work with all Christians. I do. It's not nirvana at all. You know, nobody's dropping the F-bomb, but there are problems. It is not that great. Because everybody's still a what? Sinner. Say it louder. Sinner. Say it with a hiss. Sinner. Sinner. And it's our heart. And so, whoo, it still takes the power of the gospel and the spirit and some intentional effort to keep unity. So it, it was an understanding of idols of the heart that got me excited about this in counseling for myself. So we were, we were both Bible college graduates. We met at Columbia Bible College. She grew up at Sherwood Baptist, you know, that did all the Christian movies, Facing the Giants, Fireproof, War Room, great church. So she grows up in a great church. I grew up in good Bible teaching churches. We meet at Columbia Bible College. We both love Jesus. What could go wrong? <laughs> she was a piece of work. No, just kidding. We <laughs> you know, but if you're married, then surely you know what can go wrong. It's like, oh my goodness, I would say what I would say, she would say what she would say, I would say it louder, she would cry, we would retreat. We couldn't go far because we lived in a mobile home. We'd get as far away from each other as we could, which wasn't far, and then we would just rehash that same argument again in a few days. I was like, we need help. We need help. And we went to a couple Christian counselors that actually weren't helpful, and I was like, hmm. You know, one of them just said, you know, we both poured our hearts out. We've waited three weeks for this appointment. And when we, you know, finished, he's like, what I'm going to, he was older. What I'm going to say, he was super old, hunched over old. Like, what I'm going to say, you're not going to like. Okay. You both need to die. <laughs> die. He said it three times. Die. I'm like, okay. All right. I'll start. <laughs> I mean, like, you know. But we needed more detail. I mean, it's true, that's a biblical principle, right? Die to self. But you need a little more help, like die, who dies first? If she dies, I'll die. If I see her dying, but is she really dead or just partially dead? Is she gonna come back to life? I don't know. You know, just all the dynamics. But it's when we went to a biblical counselor, I was like, and I'm a talker. You can probably already sense that. I'm not that guy that says, mm, I talk. I have other sins. Not talking is not one of them. And I'm just, you know, and I'm thinking I'm winning the day. You know, like, tell her what I've been trying to say. I'm going to put you in the ballpark, and then just you can say it, you know. And about six weeks into it, he's like, Brad, I think you have some significant heart idols that drive you to do what you do. I could not have been more surprised. 
I thought everything I did, I did for the glory of God. You know, we got to give our all. And, and it, let me, if you're married, let me give you another helpful thing. Uh, I used to say, suck it up and go. My football coaches said that. We responded. Women do not respond to that. <laughs> suck it up and go. Just drop that all together. If you've never used it, don't. You know, I'm just like, we just got to go hard, honey. It's for the kingdom. Lives are at stake. Heaven, hell. You want me to play Candyland? How can I do this? So I was convinced that I went this hard for the glory of God. And, but he had, he's a good counselor. He had listened to me. And he'd written down things I was saying. And, and then he used it against me. And, he, and it, it, it sounds so bad when you hear someone tell you what. It was like, ooh, that's true. He said, you keep saying, hmm. hmm. He put it all together in patterns. It's like, ooh. Because we're going to talk this weekend. You, cannot, you say, how can, we, how can we work on a heart issue? You can't see the heart. That's right. But what did Jesus say? Out of the abundance of the heart, what happens? The mouth speaks. Can't see your heart, but your mouth is going. And we're learning about your heart from your mouth. The two are connected. And it wasn't fun, and I didn't like it at first. But oh my goodness, as he helped me to understand heart issues that I loved being loved. So if you'll go 80 to 100 hours a week and you'll never tell anyone no, they will love you. I had 600 people that loved me. There was just one that hated me. She's my wife, but you know. And that's kind of how I was operating. And so, oh, it was, it was a game changer when I began to repent on a heart level. So this is the fruits of how I even got going on this. Because I grew up in the church. I never heard teaching like this. It was just much more, you're angry? Here's a do not get angry verse. Memorize it. I don't know how many of you have tried to, to work on sin that way. Guess what? Not very effective. Don't hear me saying I'm not a, scripture of, uh, a fan of Scripture memory. I am. I have whole chapters memorized. But if you just take sins and match it with a verse that says don't do that and memorize it, that hasn't changed anything. Now I'm angry and I feel guilty about getting angry because I've memorized do not get angry verses. But you got to understand why. Why am I getting angry? In response to what? What am I wanting? What do I think that someone's in my way? What do I feel threatened about? What do I prize and treasure? So when the Bible talks about the heart, it's talking about the control center or motives. Why do you do what you do? Not just what do you do. Why do you do what you do? And so even though we were both raised in the church, both Bible college graduates, both truly loved Jesus, neither one of us got saved in this process. We were converted. Can two, can two truly saved believers have a wretched marriage? I wish I could tell you no. Not true. You can. We were both saved, both Bible college educated, both raised in Bible teaching churches, and we had a bad, bad marriage because we both had stepped in what God warns, not just unbelievers about, he warns his people. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Here we go. Jeremiah 2, I hope you have a Bible. And I don't mean some app in your lap, I mean a real one, because I'm old. I'm old. In my church now, you know, I'm like, I don't hear the pages turning, and the young people have to remind me, we're swiping, we're swiping. Okay. I don't know if you're swiping your Bible or you're looking at Facebook or watching TikTok, one more stu stupid kitten video. I don't know. But I like real. Go to Jeremiah 2. 
Jeremiah 2, this is God speaking. Has a nation changed its gods, which are not gods, but my people? So is he talking to pagans, unbelievers? No. My people have exchanged their glory for what does not profit. Be astonished, O heavens, at this. Be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, says the Lord, for my people have committed two great evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and dug for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. What he's saying is that even believers can be guilty of going to the same places the world does to try to find satisfaction. So whatever it is, if you go there and you're digging, the problem is Christians very often go towards good stuff. Isn't marriage good? Aren't kids good? Aren't they a blessing? Isn't it good to be a hard worker? Whatever. But if you dig there and make that your place that you're hoping to find Full satisfaction, this is what I live for. This is what keeps me going. This is my, it'll fail you, it leaks. Because notice he says, they're digging cisterns, what kind of cisterns? Broken So here's, here's what would just be great. I try to help people in counseling. As soon as they come in, most of my counseling is marriage counseling. Sometimes I'm doing something else, but they usually give me tons of couples. And uh, two things that needs to happen, sure, each person probably has areas that need to improve and change, but something that both, if both would get a hold of this, it would help the whole marriage immediately. Just recognize it will never fully satisfy you. There'll always be this sense, mm, but just, he's improved here, but oh, now, oh, just right there, right there. But as soon as that gets better, what do you do? You just move on, oh, and that. And there is that thing you do. And if this would be altogether different. And it's just, we live in a fallen, broken world. I say the best Christian marriage leaks. There's a hole in the bottom of it. You know, and parenting has great joys, but it leaks. Think about churches, right? I mean, unless this is the exception, maybe you're like, this is nirvana. Evangelical nirvana. There isn't a thing here that I would differ with. There's nothing, I, right? Usually, you choose a church and you're like, oh, oh, if just, if just there were more hymns. I love the preaching, but oh. Or you're like, if just there were no hymns. Oh, or if just, if just, right? I tell people all the time, you're just gonna have to decide. It will not be, per it leaks. But you watch Christians go from church to church to church. Uh, full confession on my crowd, I watch pastors go from church to church to church to church. I tell all my friends, dude, Stay where you are. Stay where you are. New zip code, same problems. Once you get there, you'll find out, oh, there's that guy from that other church. Different name, just like him. Oh, there he is. You can't get away from it. People, even like with small groups, I'm always like, we, we, try, to, we try to get our people in groups, right? I think good things happen at close range with other believers. But let's be honest, bad things happen too, right? You're like, I'm never getting in a group. I'm so sick of people. She talks all the time, drives me crazy. Just, there's gonna be somebody there that you'd like, I would never choose them as a friend. And there she is in my group. If just, it could be all my friends in a group. God never meant for the group to be you and all your friends that all like Mustangs or all like the 49ers. No. And I, I said, God 
There'll be somebody there that's not your cup of tea because you'll have to grow and learn to love. And then I'll say, and right now if you're thinking, I can't think of anybody in our group like that, it's you. (laughs) You are the gift because every group has one. And usually that person is clueless. Yes, God is using you significantly (laughs) on everyone. (laughs) Everywhere you go, you're the gift. (laughs) Oh, I got to find out if I really got love because, oh my goodness. In in glory, I I can be around you, just not right now in a fallen, broken world. (laughs) It's like, it's how it is. It's like, even with jobs, you know, don't hear me saying there's not a time to leave your church. You know, when they switch from the Bible to the Quran, you should leave. But I watch people leave over just all kinds of, and then you get somewhere, and it's, at first it's like, oh my goodness, this is like, oh, my last church. And I always think, especially when someone's talking that way to me in the foyer, I always think, I'll get in the car, I'll say to Vicki, we're next. Like, you just haven't been here long enough for me to offend you. It's going to happen. I'm going to mention Halloween, and you think that's heinous. I'm going to mention, I'm going to offend you at some point, and you'll just start all over. Everything in this world leaks. So God's given us these things, marriage, parents, work, church, but none of it was meant to fully satisfy you apart from your own personal white hot intimate real satisfying relationship with jesus jesus i mean to know him and love him and be meeting with him and he's real and he's meeting your needs so that when you enter into these other contexts of marriage and parenting and friendship and church relationships and work you don't need as much Your hand isn't out. You're not expecting these relationships to fully satisfy. So let's dive into it. What does idolatry look like and how do we get trapped in it? Number one, idolatry is a constant threat because we're so prone to gospel drift. Do you realize I know Christians, it's appropriate to be on guard and vigilant. There are things that I try to be vigilant about. I want to finish well. I'm 59 now, so few people finish well. You know what I mean? There's even like Ravi Zacharias, that broke my heart. I love Ravi Zacharias, I had so many of his books. Like, what? I wanna be that, and don't hear me saying I think I'm famous like any of those guys, I'm not. You don't have to be famous to wanna finish well. I would like to be that guy that people don't say, oh, remember Brad Bigney, and then their voice trails off, because it didn't end well. So yes, I'm vigilant about sexual purity and vigilant about, but do you realize Christians should not just be on guard about heinous things. One, one, of the, one of the things that gets us is just drift, not rebellion. See, the Bible talks about apostasy, right? And that's heartbreaking, you know, when a, when a Josh Harris that wrote I Kiss Dating Goodbye says I'm kissing Christianity goodbye. There's another one. She's like, I'm done. I don't believe it anymore, not a Christian. That's apostasy, all out. But there's another danger, not just rebellion and apostasy, drift, drift. I tell our people all the time, drift is never towards greater intimacy with Christ and grace. Drift is always towards legalism and coolness in your relationship with Jesus. For you to keep vibrant and intimate with Jesus, it will have to be intentional. 
intentional, intentional. And for you to stay excited about the gospel and keep the main thing the main thing, it'll have to be intentional, intentional, intentional. You say, well, how would you do with that, Brad? I, I push this all the time with our people, and I assume you're a, a church that would believe this. You've got to read this. All of it. All of it. I know some parts are harder than others, you know. Well, all these jokes about Leviticus, I know. Take the skin off, put the kidney here, carry the fat outside. You're like, got it. No, you don't. Take the skin off, take the... But if you're not reading Leviticus, when I read the whole Bible every year, and that's what I do, oh, as I go through Leviticus, I'm like, oh my goodness, God is holy. And you don't just come into his presence willy-nilly however you want. And you didn't just have a sacrifice that covered your sin just any way you wanted. And whoo, details matter to God. Then when you get to the book of Hebrews, and it says 13 times, we have a better sacrifice, a better mediator, a better hope, a better inheritance. If you're not reading your Old Testament, you say, better than what? I don't know. I don't read my Old Testament. If you're reading your Old Testament, you know it's better than all that. One sacrifice for all time and he intercedes for us and you realize I have freedom to just come into the presence of a holy holy God because Jesus intercedes for me day and night and his righteousness has been imputed to my account as if it was mine you're like oh that's so much what's the word better better this covenant of grace so when you read it all I know parts of it are just a little harder but it's like seven grain bread right I'm, little, I'm old enough now that Wonder Bread was the commercial, just straight white bread. If you're still doing that, stop today. <laughs> you're just on your way to colon cancer. There's nothing left in that that's good. It's all been taken out. So now we eat this bread. I've got this bread called Ezekiel bread. You know, you're eating it and you're like, I think that's a stick and that's a rock and that's a nut. But oh my goodness, when that goes through me, it's going to be a colon cleanse. It's going to be like a Brillo pad. Oh, it's all coming out. It's like, so some things that are harder are good for you. And different parts of it, God knows what he's doing in his, the diet he gives us. And, and if you want to stay excited about the gospel and your Savior and keeping the main thing the main thing, right here, right here. I know that sounds like, duh, like a football, you know, coach holding up a football and saying, man, this is a football. But I kid you not, I just had to meet with a couple this past week that are new to our church. They're in their 70s. She, she sits there and she says to me, this is her third husband because they keep dying, and she's like, my second husband was a pastor, British. I was a pastor's wife, lived in England. He was mentored by D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Do you know that name? Oh. That's a big deal to me. And she was there to meet with me to push back and say, I've been in this church six months and I just keep running into people who say, you've got to read your Bible. You need to be reading your Bible regularly. you got to, I almost didn't know what to say. I was like, I meant to do that. I've worked 26 years creating that culture. I'm glad that keeps happening to you. She didn't like it at all. She thought it was legalistic, unnecessary. She said she doesn't read her Bible. She just listens to podcasts and music and just, I was like, well, I, I disagree. And they left. But I'm, I said, I don't think we're ever going to agree. So that happened on purpose, and you're going to keep hearing that a lot. So she was causing a stink in the small group over the same thing. Like, why do you make so much of the Bible? If I was a physician, and you're telling me you feel weak, anemic, sluggish, awful, your physician's gonna say, talk to me about your diet. 
How much water are you drinking? Fresh vegetables? No. Twinkies. Fast food. Lots of grease. Well, hello. He's going to check on what you're taking in. As a pastor, I tell people, this is our food. This is our, there's all kinds of analogies about it. It's our food. And then the Bible talks about this renewing our mind. And then my favorite illustration is it being like a front-end alignment on your car, right? You can only hit so many speed bumps and curbs, and after a while, things are pulling to the left. And you got to get that thing aligned. I find that commercials, the world screaming, stuff going on, it knocks my thinking out of alignment. I don't need more than 24 hours that I, I need realigned. Realigned. Oh, I come back to God's Word and like, oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. That's what I love about some of those big God Old Testament books like Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah. It's like he's, he's ruling over the nations. He puts one in. He takes another one down. He's in, con- like right now with all the hoopla in America and Christians that are running around like, ah, read the Old Testament. If you're just in the Psalms and the New Testament, you're not getting everything you need. God in Isaiah and Ezekiel. and Jer- God actually says, I have a marked all in my Bible. He refers to Nebuchadnezzar. Good guy or bad guy? Terrible. Yeah, no fish sticker on his chariot, not playing Christian music. Bad, bad guy doing bad, bad stuff. I mean, you think you don't like who we have in America? This was way worse. And God says, Nebuchadnezzar, my servant. Oh. You know, some Christians act like, oh. The only ones that serve God are Republican. No, read your Bible. (laughs) Read your Bible. God would say, Joe Biden, my servant. If you can't swallow that and get that down without choking and gagging, you need to read your Bible some more. God, nobody rules on earth apart from our sovereign God. On Sunday, trust me, people in Kentucky are just as upset as the rest of the world. So on Sunday, I kicked off the new year. I had a stand, and I just had us read publicly all these great Old Testament God is sovereign and ruling over the nation verses out loud. And then I even pushed it to the next level and said, all right, I'm going to teach you something here because this, this is what it means. I want you to lift your hands and shake a snake. No, just lift your hands. <laughs> As we, because I went from Genesis to Revelation, and the last verse was Revelation 19 For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Just felt good to say it. I said, Say it again louder. Say it like you mean it. Say it for the world to hear. I was like, Now, I want you to lift your hands, because this is an act of worship. It's saying, You're God and we're not. I said, If you're Baptist or Episcopalian or something like that, just start like this. If that's all. If that's all you can do, just, just hold the baby. Hold the baby. But if you can go all the way, go all the way with me. Wash the window. Huh? Oh, just, but where would we get that? It's not some other little book or somebody's podcast that I need to settle me down right now in America. This is a great book to settle you down right now. That was all bonus. That's not even in the notes. Hmm? Extra for you. Back to the notes. Because we're prone to drift. Drift. There's a verse, verse that even talks this way. Hebrews. It's not in your notes, but Hebrews 2.1. Hebrews 2.1 says, We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. 
There's the danger, not just rebellion and apostasy, drift. And what I love, in the original language, the Greek, that word drift is a word that literally meant to unloose the mooring from a ship that's docked. Take that big rope that's wrapped around that metal thing and let it, does the ship just take off? Uh Uh-uh, what happens? Just gradually drifts. But after a while, are they in trouble? Yeah. The Holy Spirit wanted us to think about that. You need to pay much closer attention to what you've heard about the gospel, about our Savior, about our own heart, lest you drift away from it. This matters because when you're guilty of idolatry, it was Hebrews 2.1. It's not in your notes. That's bonus. Hebrews 2.1. Because when your soul and your heart shifts towards something other than Jesus, the gospel, his kingdom, it's like you live with a low-grade spiritual fever and you are easily susceptible to stepping into other things. I think what we've seen in the last 18 months, you guys, is Christians who were living with a low-grade fever. We didn't know it. Right? Lots of things you don't know until, oops, there it is. Like, wow. Oh. And, you, and don't think in terms of, wow, they changed. No. It was always there. There never was enough heat to push to the surface the heart. Heat exposes heart. So I've said to our church family over and over, was 2020, and I ha- had no idea 2021 would be just about as hard. 2020 and 2021 were hard years. But they were heart years so it wasn't a wasted time you really can't work on stuff unless you know where you really are and as shepherds we can't really shepherd well until unless we know where the flock is and it wasn't fun and it wasn't pleasant but ooh, we found out some stuff it's like oh i didn't know that jesus was your second flag and america was your first but now we do right that's what happened It's like, and we're going to talk in this weekend, emotions, off the chart emotions can almost always be traced back to the heart. And it's saying something about your heart. And when you're very emotional, whether it's fearful, angry, anxious, almost always it's an indicator that something dear to you And if I've heard it once, I've heard it a hundred times. But this is my America. Even my sweet parents, they're in their 80s. And they minister to Muslims in Knoxville. And they keep saying, Bradley, don't call me that. It's just my mom. (laughs) Bradley, we keep telling Ahmad, she'll never know the America, our America. I know, mom, that's sad. But you ought to want her to know your God. Could she know your God in the context of these times? Yeah, you need to stop. I don't know who you might be because... I'm not your pastor, and if you don't like this, email Scott Denny. You've got his email. That right now, do you realize times of comfort and prosperity and ease is not usually when there's a massive spiritual harvest of souls? When things are scary and there's unrest and things are coming apart, that's when God works, and that's when God needs his people to be his people focused on the main thing, not running and screaming like everybody else. They're like, I've got people at my church just saying, it it has to do with my values, Pastor Brad. That's why I'm so angry. Yeah, well, stop it. Because we're supposed to be filled with love. I've never read a verse that says, fruit of the Spirit is raging with spittle out of the side of your mouth and your veins standing out. 
Like 1 Peter 3.15 says, be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you a reason for the, say it, hope. I think we've had Christians acting shamefully. Nobody's going to ask you the reason for the hope that you have. Like, no one's going to say, dude, tell me what got you so mad. I need more of that. Everybody out there is mad. So if they see Christians doing the same thing, you're like, okay, you go to church, you have a little fish thing on your ball cap, but you're raging. Okay, me too. I can do that without church. But when they see you calm and loving and hopeful in the midst of this, they say, what do you have that I don't have? And it's fine to say, this breaks my heart. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I am not thrilled with where America's headed. I, this isn't my favorite administration. There have been a number of administrations, like, like even I said Sunday, it's like, it's been bad for a long time. What, why did you just freak out in 2020? Like, I didn't enjoy, I won't name his name, but like I had friends in Houston back in 2009. Well, I'll say it, under Obama. The judges in Houston subpoenaed their sermons and you had to send them in, and they were reading them, and if you said homosexuality is a sin, you're going to jail. That was under Obama. I was fearful under Obama, so I, I'm not quite, I can't quite figure it out. Like, it's been bad for a while. Here we are, and God has us here for such a time as this. And he isn't calling his people to bring back America. He's calling his people to lift up Jesus Christ in the midst of it because we're citizens of another kingdom we have a hope that's fixed outside of this world and we're like oh, i can still have joy i would like to and so don't hear what i'm not saying i vote i call my congressman i write letters and then i sleep good because i believe god is sovereign god is sovereign and so here's why this matters so much as your heart goes, so goes your life. That sets the direct, until the heart changes, the direction of your life doesn't change. And so these things really matter. And when the heart shifts from Jesus Christ and the gospel and his kingdom, oh, there's never just a vacuum. It's always filled with something else. Because you realize by nature, we are worshipers. So you realize it's not just Christians that worship. Don't make them say everybody's a worshiper. It's just a question of what do you worship? Because worship is what you build your life around, your thoughts around, your affections, what you prize and treasure. We are unlike anything else in creation. We're unlike aardvarks and golden retrievers and houseplants. We worship. And, and, we, and we also try to interpret and we want to make sense of life. You know, we're the only ones that have philosophy departments, right? We want to know why, why, why? How does this all, I mean, Dogs don't sit around and say, now, why do we chase cars? I, I don't know. We lost Freddie last week, but we still, what's going on? You know, they just do what they do. We're the ones, you know, right? Even some of the people that struggle the most have it all. That's when human beings really begin to say, what is this all about? I've got the car. I've got the house. I've got the stuff. And I still say, what am I missing? We're created in his image. As we're, because nothing in this world was designed to fully satisfy. And I think it was Augustine that said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. But what's so sad is Christians can find that eternal salvation rest. I know I'm not going to, heaven, to, to hell. And then begin to shift and drift 
in this world back to other things and then they wonder why they're so unhappy and then they try to use God to get the things they want as if he's some you know they can just beep prayer is just a call intercom to beep him for the stuff you want and they're frustrated but they've drifted they've drifted to something else that's why G.K. Chesterton said when we cease to worship God we don't worship nothing we'll worship anything anything now I'm from Cincinnati, right? So yes, I'm, I care about football, as you should, appropriately. It's not an idol, <laughs> but I like it, like it a lot. So I was thrilled that they won that first round playoff. So I'm watching this short little video because of course I've got this weekly Bengal thing that comes to me, but it just stood out to me. You know, fans are leaning out of the stands and they've got the cameras after we won and, and there's this one young man, he's like, like this, and he's like, I live for this, it's my life. And I was like, that's not a good thing because it's been 31 years since we won a playoff game. How miserable this guy's been, right? <laughs> but you can fill that in with whatever. Whatever you fill that in with, short of Jesus Christ and the gospel, you're gonna be a very unhappy person because it comes and goes. I mean, I'd like to talk to that young man after Saturday. We play the Titans. I don't think we're gonna win that game. And I don't know because I'm taking a hit for the kingdom and I'll be teaching you. I can't even watch. Once I saw they're playing at 4.30 Saturday, I was like, oh my goodness, that's 1.30 California time. I don't even get to watch it, but I love you. I'll be, <laughs> I'll be right here teaching. Man, I think they're gonna lose anyway. <laughs> if we cease to worship God, we don't worship nothing. You fill that void with something, whether it's image or exercise or work or grandkids or travel or pleasure or we want to worship something, make much of something. And so that's why this matters. So let me, let me ask you, what do you think is going on in your own heart? Trace emotions back and say, why? Why are these emotions surrounding these issues? Number two, idolatry is alive and well. Even though it's rarely talked about among Christians, now, it's being talked about more than it was when I first started teaching on this and I wrote the book in 2012. But it's still not one of those subjects that I grew up in the church and I'm old enough that we had flannel graph. How many remember flannel graph? Oh, yeah. Super cool. <laughs> you know, you just stick Paul on the board or, or, or the, or the uh, spiritual armor. Ephesians 6, that was always fun. There's the guy, add the helmet, boom. Add the sword in his hand, shield, boots, and you just stick it on there. It's like, ah, oh, it's like, I don't even know why I was saying that. <laughs> oh, I never heard a lesson on, when, when it was about idolatry, it was always Old Testament. It was a physical idol, you know, something you're bowing down to, and sure, that's idolatry, but the takeaway is, therefore, whenever this subject is touched on, it's not in America, and it's not today. It's somewhere else, somewhere else. But what I want you to think about in this weekend is what we're gonna touch on, and I'm gonna show you a passage that shows it, is idols of the, say it, heart. Oh, the heart. And, and this is not a new subject. It's not like I, I thought of this. As you go through church history, you'll see just like, just like Martin Luther had to bring the church back to justification by faith through grace, it wasn't not a new thought, thought, but the church had 
drifted, and God used him to bring them back. John Calvin, that's a long time ago, said the heart is a factory of idols. He said that in his two-volume institutes. The heart is a factory of idols. When you read some of the Puritans, you'll see them talking about heart issues like this. Just because it's not being talked about today in America largely does not mean this is not a significant issue. David Pallison, one of my favorite biblical counselors, he died in the last couple years, but his writings are excellent. David Pallison says this, idolatry is by far the most frequently discussed problem in the scriptures. The relevance of massive chunks of scripture hangs on our understanding of idolatry. Now that's a big statement, but I don't think he's overstating the case at all. And if you're still thinking, but it's largely Old Testament. Let me give you one example that brings it into our New Testament lapse. You think about it, the little book of 1 John, not the Gospel of John, but the little book of 1 John. That is a book about walking in the light. That is a book about 105 verses about a vibrant, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And then John ends his entire little letter, the final closing verse. He ends in 1 John 5, 21. Little children, keep yourselves from, what? Idols. You see those two things go together. What he's saying is, in order to have a, so the first part of his book, he's saying, you can't do this if you step into this. So I wanna go hard after an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, but I need to be on guard and aware of what are the temptations, where are the tendencies of my own heart to go somewhere else and to build around something that I think will, will satisfy. Often we think it's a shortcut. Something that will get me what I'm wanting quicker, sooner. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. The apostle of love has something or someone else besides Jesus Christ. Basically, he's asking the all-important question, has something or someone else taken hold of the title deed of your heart? Is there someone else that controls you more than the Holy Spirit? So, I'm not that Christian. I assume this is not that church that has a two-tier thing. When you put your trust in Jesus, you get saved, but there's a second level, something else that happens where then you speak in tongues and you've got the Spirit. I believe the Bible teaches when you get Jesus Christ, you've got the Spirit. When you get saved, you've got the Spirit. But sometimes we throw the baby out with the bathwater. The Bible does talk about being filled with the Spirit. So what in the world does that mean? I think it means, yeah, you've got the Spirit and He's a person. How much of you does He have control of? So I, I like to show my couples as we head into marriage counseling, I don't think there's any mistake that, you know, the, the grand marriage passage starts Ephesians 5, 22 and following. Verse 18. Anybody know what verse 18 says? Do not be drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit because he knows I'm about to talk to you about husbands doing something you cannot do in your own flesh to truly lay down your life and love a woman and wives to submit to a less than perfect still sinful husband not gonna happen in your own flesh you better be filled with the Spirit and then I don't think enough people make the connection 
Do not be drunk with wine. He's not changing subject. Let me talk about two things. Don't be drunk. Done with that. Be filled with the Spirit. He's making an analogy. Surely and sadly, whether it was in college or whether you grew up in a home, you've seen someone drunk. They're controlled by alcohol in that moment. Now, what is almost always true? Are they exactly like they normally are? They're either much meaner or way funnier. Now, I've never seen Uncle Freddie dance like that. Wow, look at him go. They're not themselves. And the alcohol has made them so different. He is saying, it's my favorite thing to push back in counseling, when someone says, well, it's just who I am. It's who I am. Well, who you are brought us to counseling. You want to stay that way? <laughs> like, we're talking about change here. It's just, I'm, a, I'm an angry man. Or I'm a worrier. We come from a great line of worriers. <laughs> like, mama was a worrier, grandmama was, we drew it right. <laughs> well, you want help? Like, the Holy Spirit means you can change. Like, I know that's not you. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. That's why we have the power of the gospel. That's why he said there's a process of sanctification. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And as he gets control of you and you know what God's word says and you lean into it, even that you'd say, I would never think of doing that. That doesn't match what I would normally do. But you begin to do it. You begin to change. And people say, and I get to see it. By God's grace, I get to see it on a regular basis. I was meeting this past year with a 50-year-old man whose wife had let, left him. She was one of those, I gotta go find myself. Just, oh, she was all very messed up. Left him with three teenage daughters. So you can imagine he had his hands full and he calls the church and of course he just wants to drop the three daughters off. Fix them, they're not obeying. <laughs> and uh, we're like, we don't do that. We always start with the parents. So here I have him, and he's not happy because he didn't want counseling. He wants me to counsel them. But we start with the parents. Not saying it's your fault, but often, you know, you're the biggest influence in the home. Let's, let's work with you. That man, he was new to our church, that man changed so much. Oh, my goodness. Now, hear me. He kept coming back every week saying, oh, Pastor Brad, this is hard. This is hard. This is hard. But he would do it. He would do it. He would do it. Now, you know, about divorce, it's sad. You still have interactions with your ex between the kids. He changed so much, his ex-wife said, oh my goodness, you're the husband I always wanted. Why'd I, why didn't I get this version? I want you. I said, do not do that, because she's still totally lost. I said, let's see if she'll repent. But I was thrilled. I had another time where there was a guy that I was working with, and it's like, his father-in-law, they just went to the lake on vacation. He called me and said, what happened to him? He is so different. I said, I know, I know. I is it not amazing? Even I have observers now as I counsel because I'm trying to train other people. And I'm like, session 12 right now with this couple. And it was a mess, a huge mess. One of those bad stuff comes out that she didn't even know about kind of messes. And just visibly, they are so different when they exited a week or so ago, my observer said, oh my goodness, wow, they are different. Now, now, I'm making these illustrations not for yay Brad. We're talking about the Holy Spirit, the work that the Spirit can do, but it has to be a heart work on a heart level, but when the heart changes and begins to, by God's grace, filled with the Spirit, seek to make Christ first 
and keep the main thing the main thing and please him, change, change, change. Not just a tweak, but a radical change. Is there something else that controls you more than the Holy Spirit that this is what I live for? This is what controls me. This is what moves me. Number three, the reason idolatry is so pervasive is it because it's so elusive and flies under the radar. Idolatry doesn't operate out in the open. And that's why we can struggle to even know our own heart because the human heart is so deceptive. See, as soon as we talk about hearts, if this is new to you, sometimes in counseling, people will look at me and they'll say, I can tell, and sometimes they'll say it out loud, but it's my heart. Wouldn't I know what's going on in my heart? News alert. Bible says no, you don't. The same book we started with, Jeremiah 2, Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitfully wicked or desperately, and who can know it? Now, too many Christians quote that and just stop. Verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart. He'll show you your heart. So my favorite prayer to get my counselees to pray, and it's a prayer that I still pray, but no, I've been a pastor 35 years, so one of my top complaints that I hear, because I love to pray. I love to fast and pray. I love to pray. And I'll hear, prayer doesn't work. Pray doesn't work. Pray doesn't work. How long did you pray? All weekend. Oh, wow. Three whole days on that? Anyway, that's a different issue. But often, <laughs> it's like, okay, what do you mean it doesn't work? And usually if you poke, it means I'm just telling God what I need him to do and almost always, always it's focused on somebody else. Get her, God. Get her real good like a mother cat with a kitty and just shake her. <laughs> Take him to the woodshed, God. Get him. Whip him. Right? And then we're like, doesn't work. Nothing's happened. And I'll say, oh, let me give you a prayer that God loves to answer. I guarantee you he'll answer this. Okay. You ready? Psalm 139 Verse 23 and 24, search me, O God, and know my, say it, heart. Try me and see if there be any anxious way in me and lead me in the way of, oh, he loves, it's like he's leaning over the heaven and he's like, ask me, ask me, I'd love to tell you about you. And then you gotta be careful, I have to remind people, when you say search me, O God, and know my heart, try me and show me my, one of God's favorite ways to give us feedback on us is to actually use other people. Do you realize that? Sometimes someone trying to tell you something about you is the answer to your prayer. But you're like, oh, I didn't wanna hear it from her. I mean like, just like write it on the wall with your finger like in Daniel, many, many, tickle, tickle, just you and me, God, during my quiet time but I don't want to hear it from her, not her. I know too much bad, right? I say, put the welcome mat out. Make it easy for people to tell you about you. Because we all wear blinders. You do not see yourself as other people see you, and certainly not as God sees you, and he would love to use somebody else. But if I, I've got my counselors praying this every week. Every week, I want you to say, God, show me what I'm not seeing about me in this situation. Show me what I'm not seeing about me. What kind of heart am I bringing to this? Because here's the other good news, right? If you begin to pray, show me me, guess what? You can do something about that. You really can't control other people, do you realize? 
So just leave that to God. But anything he shows you about you, it's yours to do something about. Oh, show me my own heart. And when you begin to think this way, it can be so helpful. Even, even like with my counselee, you know, I told you I did that sermon on Sunday about the sovereignty of God over nations, and I poked the whole political thing a little bit, and then I moved on to purpose and pain, and there are no misfits, and God makes us the way. Well, I was thrilled. My counselee comes back Wednesday night, and part of their deal is he says to her, you don't seem to care about when I try to talk to you, you don't care. You don't listen when I talk to you. It, let, me, let me help you. Don't ever listen to just one person in a marriage. Like you're having coffee with Sue and she's just telling you about Bob. You are not hearing the whole deal. Don't just meet with Ed while you shoot guns together and let Ed tell you how awful Sally is. You are not hearing. That's why I want to hear it together because, oh, it's amazing. So he's sitting there saying, she doesn't listen to me when I go to her. She doesn't seem to care about, all right, helpful information. She's like, yes. Because the only time he talks to me, the only thing he wants to talk about is politics, and he's so angry. He's just angry all the time. This is all he thinks about, all he talks about. He didn't differ. He, he just sat there like, hmm. He couldn't deny it. Okay, well, that's not fun, right? You're saying he, 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 she doesn't listen to you. She's heard it already. She's tired of hearing it. She, would, she said, I would love to talk about something else. Is there anything else we could talk about? So he comes in Wednesday night, and he's like, you know what? because I've been working with him on Idols of the Heart, he said, I think I have another idol. He said, I thought while you were preaching, I think one of my idols is the security of America. And that's why I've been so angry. He's angry. And when you've got an emotion that's just off the charts, it's because something that, and he said, I need to repent. That is going to change how they relate. That is going to change everything. But he had to see that this Anger is rooted in not just I care about politics and I, you know, let's vote, but you too much were like, my security is the America I know and it must stay this way and it cannot and we have to. He said, I think I have another idol that's at play in our relationship. She looked most pleased. (gasps) Yes, she's nodding. Yes, let me affirm that. (laughs) Yes, I think so too. Your heart and my heart, you can be not even aware of what's truly going. I wasn't waking up every day and saying, yes, I live for the approval of 600 people at church. I never thought that once. Every day I thought, I am so committed. I am going so hard. I am, we are self-deceived. I needed help seeing, oh, oh. I didn't like it at first, but I, I took it. I prayed about it. I was like, and he brought me some other issues too. And I began to be able, see, because people had been working with me just on the surface saying, you got to date your wife, Pastor Brad. Date her. You got to date her like you used to. I, I wasn't against that. So we would set up a date. And then someone would call and say, can you play your guitar at the Adult 3 cookout? Yes. I would say yes. And then I would say, oh, we can, we can go out another night. What's going on? I couldn't see it, but it's like, oh, I live for this. I don't ever want someone to hear no because I want them to love me. And she should understand she's my wife. But once I saw what I was doing, it was not easy. Trust me. Oh, it was hard because the whole church wasn't used to know, right? So I didn't have to repent alone. They had to repent. You know, so imagine being told no for the first time. What do you mean no? You never say no, Pastor Brady. Well, I say no now. No. It's like, even now, 
I mean, I just had to learn. There was a lady two weeks ago, about right there, she had a book about the end times and numbers and who the monster is and all that. She said, oh, Pastor Brad, I know you'll be honest. I want you to read this and tell me what you think. And I said, I'm so glad you know I'll be honest. Let me be honest right now. I don't want to read your book and I'm not going to take it. And she's like, she's like, I used to take everybody's book and everybody's DVD and it's all stacked in and now it's everybody's link. They've sent me, watch this video, watch this video, read this blog. No, no. <laughs> Let me say it again, no. Because I'm pushing something else. Why don't you read my book? Here, read this, read this. And even one sweet lady that was meeting with me for the third time melting down, she's like, and, and they don't realize out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. She's like, oh, Pastor Brad, I'm still reading my Bible in the morning. I want you to know that. But after that, I'm watching hours of videos about gas chambers and Nazis and where America's changed. Well, hello. No wonder you're so upset. Stop. Stop watching the gas chamber videos and just read your Bible some more. They've just asked us to wear a mask. That's it. No gas, no chamber. No swastika, no goose-stepping yet. It's just a mask. Yeah. <laughs> so now I say no to all kinds of things, and, and I have to be willing to not be liked. I know there's people in the church that think, he said no, but I have a wife now that loves me, and I'm living for an audience of one. Now, I hope you don't, don't hear me saying I go out of my way to tick everybody off. I don't. I still really love people, but I've just learned, I ha oh, I have to, I can see it in their eyes, you know. I mean, we have 2,000 people now. We used to have everybody over for a meal. Oh, I have questions about the church. Great, we'll do a meal together. I can't do that anymore. I cannot do lasagna with every person that has a theological question. So we created a, a grace for you class so that 25 pr people at once could hear our history. But what do you think? I'm pretty transparent, and I don't hide in the green room in between services and eat a candy bar. I'm walking around. And so they think, there he is. And they're like, oh, we love it, but we have questions. We want to have you over for lasagna. And I've had to learn just right on the spot. I smile and say, oh, that is so kind. And we used to be able to do that, but we can't. And I can see it in their eyes. You can't? Wow, you can't. That's awful. But, but I can't think, oh, man, I want him to like me. I have to turn and walk away and think, if they don't stay, they don't stay. But I can't do lasagna with everybody that has questions, that's why we started Grace For You class. You're gonna have to, where's your heart? Who you're trying to please? Think about it. It's a drift. Nobody wakes up on any given day and says, I think I'm gonna start living for the approval or affection of my husband, or living for my, ch no mother intentionally ever begins to say, I'm gonna build my whole world around my children so that I don't have another identity so that if one of them becomes a prodigal and goes off the rails, it will crush me and break my heart and I will struggle to get out of bed. Nobody means to do that. It's drift to where it just begins subtly. You know, I get emails sometimes from someone that it's like mommy5 at gmail.com and I'm just like, oh, mommy5, don't do that. Just, just keep it distinct. I mean, be a mother and you'll be a mother forever. But the problem is when you're nothing but one big mother, I'm just, and I don't mean size, just one big mother, I'm just a big mother. I have no other identity. Like apart from cutting crust off of sandwiches and making little lunches, I don't even know who I am. 
You know, the world has names for this. You know, they're like, oh, it's empty nest syndrome. Like, the kids have grown, and she's like, I don't know who I am. That's not supposed to happen. That's called idolatry. When all of a sudden the kids are gone, you're like, I don't know who I am apart from peanut butter and jelly. Not a good sign. You should have kept dating your husband. You should have been in a women's Bible. I'm right. I'm being serious. It's like, and, and for men, the same way. So as we've lived in the same neighborhood 26 years. So people saw the little kids climbing ropes and everything, and they're gone. The last two went out during COVID 2020. And so it's, we have these awkward conversations now. We're walking around the neighborhood. It's like a block, and they're like, oh, the last one left, right? I said, like, yeah. Like, oh, isn't it isn't sad? And I was just kind of like, no, it's really not sad. Like, I mean, we love each other. It's like, we get, I don't have to spell words in the car anymore. We can play our music. When we ride bikes, there's nobody saying, I'm tired. It's like, we ride bikes as long as we want. Like, and, and I always thought, we run naked in the house together. And, but she wants nothing to do with that. That was just my dream. But I'm allowed, you know. And she's like, you go. Give me another lap. Go, go, go. Marvelous. We don't, it's like, Wow, we love each other. And this is Vicky too. So if you're sitting there thinking, yeah, you're a guy. I'll be in my chair some nights when I don't have a meeting reading a book. And she will come from her room where she does her thing. And she'll just come by me and say, do you know how much I love this? Just you and me here. I'm like, yeah, that's good, girl. Because I love it too. Yes. Yes, we don't need a dog. We don't need anything that needs us. Bring nothing into this home that has a need. Nothing. I mean, you know, once you've raised five kids and you homeschooled them, it's just like someone has been tugging on you forever. It's like we're both 59, and the last two just left two years ago, right? I've got friends that have been alone forever because they just had two. And, like, by 41, they were, like, running naked. And, you know, I can hardly run now. It took so long to get there. <laughs> So it's like, oh, and for men sometimes more than the kids, it's, it's the vocation. And you watch in the world that we live now, things change so much. Oh, my goodness. In three to five years, there's a faster way to do this, and they can hire somebody right out of college and pay them a third of what they're paying you. And all of a sudden, things aren't the way they used to be where someone works for a company 40 years, and they will let you go. And don't hear me saying that's not hard and difficult but when your entire identity was wrapped up in it and it was an idol it's not just what i do it's who i am it's devastating that's the operative word when the kids go appropriately sad if it's devastating hmm when the job changes or you lose it it's hard but if it's devastating when the health changes right my wife has a new health condition. In 2017, she was diagnosed with transverse myelitis. It's in, the, it's in the MS family. Greatly affects our lives and what she can and can't do now. And it's hard. But if your whole world was wrapped around image and abilities, it's devastating. You know, you feel for people who don't know Jesus we're trying to just, it does, all the oil of a lay in the world is not going to keep that face from sagging after a while. And, and then, after, you know, sometimes even if you don't get a good one, it doesn't look right. It's like, yes, you paid for a facelift, and you're constantly smiling when you shouldn't be. That's odd. 
and your lips are twice as big as they should be. That's not pretty. Something went wrong. So, you know, you're gonna age. It's just gonna happen. It doesn't matter how many ab crunches I do. It is hard in there. Trust me. There's just this stuff on the outside now. No matter what I do, it's, it's just there. Never gonna look like the 26-year-olds I see at the gym. Like, oh, look at that just six-pack thing. I've got a one-pack. <laughs> you, know, you know it's a bad week, and you're like, I would feel better to just unbutton this top button as I sit here at the computer. That's better. It's just going to change, no matter how hard you work. And so if it's what you lived, you know, like hair. I wish I had hair. I'll be honest. I like hair. I think I looked better with hair. I, I was not born this way. My youngest daughter one day, she was like 10. She saw a picture of me. I had a full head of hair, blondes, parted in the middle. Oh, thank you. And she's like, oh, Dad, you weren't born this way? No. No. I mean, and then here, here's what life does to you that's so demeaning. I, I don't have hair where I want it, and it's, it's showing everywhere where I don't want it. It's like, what in the world? I could harvest ear hairs, you know? I could braid them. If, you know, you'll be standing there in the mirror and you're like, oh, when did that show up? Like overnight, it's like a fishing line. Like, oh, how embarrassing. Yikes. <laughs> it's like, what in the world? You know, but I could pay thousands of dollars. There's places to take the hair on the back of my neck and try to grow it on my head in little plugs. It's like, but it's not worth it. It's like when something is more important than it should be, it drives you to do things that maybe you shouldn't do because I have to. I overheard two guys in the gym, you know, they're just ripped all over and uh, they're, they're discussing order, ordering rabbit meat online because it's even leaner than chicken because, I mean, they're obsessed with this. It's not just lifting, but you've got to eat all the right stuff. I mean, you can take in no fat to look like that. And that's not worth it. I'm going to eat. <laughs> I want my pasta. It's like, ah. But it just shift. Romans 1 describes the pattern of the heart that we're wired with from birth. Jump over to Romans 1. Romans chapter 1 really exposes heart issues and what is going on. In Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 21, because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful. Now this passage, you know, I'm sure, Sadly, I think the only time Christians refer to it is to show that homosexuality is a sin. I do believe that, you guys, all right? I don't think that's the main point of this passage. The main point of the passage is to show something about our hearts that's true of everyone. And he simply uses homosexuality as exhibit A of an example, all right? So watch what happens here. Because, but they became futile in their thoughts. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fool, fools. Verse 23, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever, amen. Now, verse 26, for this reason God gave them up to vile passions for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Three times he uses the word exchange. They exchanged the glory of God. I don't want to live for the glory of God. I want something created in this world to satisfy me. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. What's the lie? 
that I can be satisfied in this world if I get enough of the right things. I don't need God. And then, he says, they exchange the natural sexual use for something twisted. So we exchange the glory of God for created, the truth of God for a lie, and then we even take good things. Sex is good, he thought of it, but we'll say, you know what, we're gonna twist it this way, and how about this? If it's good, it should be good anyway. This is the human heart. This is, and so we're all guilty of it. Is work good? Yes. Is workaholism good? No. Are children a blessing? Did he ever mean for your home to be child-centered? We worship the children, live for the children. I have no identity apart from the children. No. How about grandchildren? Oh, that's different. <laughs> no. I can't tell you how many times I've had someone say to me, you don't understand, Pastor Brad. Well, now I have one. Jack, so I get it, but the rules are the same. And I've had grandparents look at me and say, those grandkids are my, you finish the sentence. Is that biblical? I've seen some, some of the ugliest examples of idolatry surrounding grandkids. Oh, where grandparents go to war because we moved from Michigan to the area to be near the kids. I was trying to help a, a situation in our area with some young couple that was considering going to an unreached people group with their church and they had some young boys and they called the parents who lived in town to see if they'd keep the kids while they went on this trip. When the parents learned, these would be the grandparents, when they learned what it was about, they went raging. And this guy was a retired pastor. And they said, if you don't tell us this is all off, you're not, you're not welcome at the home, we won't recognize birthdays, we don't wanna see you, and here's how it sounds. We moved here to be near the get grandkids. How can you do this to you guys? Can God call a young couple with young kids to the mission field? Would he possibly do that? Yes. That tells you something about their hearts and that relationship. It's out of whack. And, and idolatry is, it wreaks havoc. They said things to their son that I don't know that can ever be repaired, right? Just, they said things to me. They were so ugly. I don't even know them, but they're sending me emails like, you're an idiot. How can you even encourage a couple like this? Da, 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 da. And here's what I thought was interesting that I see with some people. I, as soon as things get ugly, I always say, whoa, 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 whoa. No more text, no more email. Let's meet in person, real time. They would not. They wouldn't. Some people really like the social media and it's just easier to be super ugly when I've never really met you. The heart, exchange, not God's glory, something created, not his truth, something else, and then things in this world that I make too much of, that I twist. Work is good, but twisted it's not. Kids are good, but worship them not. Marriage is good, but expecting your spouse to totally fulfill you and satisfy, even, even that phrase when I hear people say, I'm looking for my soulmate, please stop. Because <laughs> the only thing out there is a sinner. You, your soul needs to be, you're supposed to be engaged to Jesus Christ. And, and, and when there's this thought of there's just, there's the other half of me somewhere out there. No, there's not. When you know Jesus, you are fulfilled, you are complete. 
and you are a whole person that needs to look for another very whole person that's satisfied in Christ. It's actually not a great thing when you think, oh, I'm about to marry someone that says, I was nothing before you, and you make me feel like I've never felt before, and oh, oh, and you're gonna, oh, run. Run, (laughs) don't walk, run from that. That seems flattering at first. You'll never meet all their needs. You will just, they don't need to be that needy. That is not good, not good at all. Number four, if you dig deep enough, idolatry is almost always the sin beneath the sin. And so here's what's so exciting about this. When you just go after fruit sins and you're trying to snip and work on anger, I don't want to be angry, I don't want to be angry, I don't want to worry like I do. Very fruitless until you get below the surface to say, why do I get angry? Anger is almost always rooted in a sense of entitlement. I think I deserve something. I have a certain right, and I'm not getting it. Or you're in my way, so I'm angry. Anger is simply a response to something else. And so, oh, the exciting thing is when you begin to think in terms of the sin beneath the sin, then you can fight sin on a different level, and it's not as frustrating. Because here's what I hear so much. As Christians try to change and try to repent and try to fight sin, they'll get weary with the whole memorized verse, even accountability. You're not hearing as much about that, praise God. But we went through a season for a while, accountability is the answer, accountability. Everybody at the front doors want me to hold them, hold me accountable for my Bible reading, call me to pray, come, like, stop it. I cannot hold all you people accountable. You have an accountability partner, it's called the Holy Spirit, get to know him, hello, he's there every day. That's why God gave us the Holy Spirit. It's like, you realize when you just try to hold somebody accountable and you're trying to make them do what they don't want to do and their heart really hasn't changed, the heart is still aimed this way, as soon as you release, they go right back where they were. That's why it's so discouraging. Heart change is the answer. There's a place for some accountability you know, when we're working with addicts, but for temporary. And here's the other thing I've learned. Accountability works best with people who want to be held accountable. Hold me accountable. Not the family decides to try to do it. Whew. When the heart wants what the heart wants, they'll find a way to get it, no matter how many people are holding them accountable. Heart. When you begin to work on a heart level. So I want you to begin thinking some tonight. Where's your heart? Where have you seen emotions? Where have you felt fearful? Where have you been most anxious? What is it that you really live for? Oh God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. And thank you for giving us each other. And I pray that you would continue to show us our hearts so that they could be realigned to yours so that we might have more joy and hope. And then you might use us to point others to that same hope. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.